What do people deserve in life? Do they deserve happiness? Do they deserve success? Do they deserve health? Why do they deserve these things? What about you? Do you deserve happiness? Do you deserve health? If you don't, why? What messages have you heard about yourself over time that have made you believe that you don't deserve health and happiness? And if you follow through that line of thinking, if you don't deserve health, if you don't deserve happiness, if you don't deserve success, if you don't feel worthy of these things, do you even feel worthy to be alive? In this episode, you're going to meet Sean. Sean and I attended the same undergraduate university several years apart. Sean is a trans man who attempted to end his own life three times. He was struggling to embrace the person he knew he was born to be. Ultimately, Sean shed the restrictive rules of his Christian upbringing and embraced who he really is. He learned he deserves to be happy, to be healthy, to be free, and to be who he's always wanted to be. So prepare to be inspired. Today's show contains graphic descriptions of suicide. This is the Curiously Morbid Podcast. the show. I'm Lucas King. Thank you so much for being here. I am a certified funeral celebrant uh, and happy to be your host of the Curiously Morbid podcast. Wow, it has been a long, long time since we last spoke. Since Dave's episode, we've opened and closed again. Racial injustice is being protested on a massive scale. 100,000 people have died of COVID-19. We all have to wear masks. Uh, At least we should be wearing them. Uh, And that's just what's happening nationally. And globally, uh, who knows what has been happening in your life? The world looks different now, doesn't it? We, We can't smile at people like we used to. Hugs and handshakes are suspect. I did three funerals during the most restrictive parts of the stay-at-home order, and it just just felt weird. We were limited to 10 people. We were live streaming. We were trying to get the live stream to work. The, The whole room felt cold. Um... I don't know if you've been to, I don't know how many funerals you've been to, but when, when oftentimes with, with a lot of families, at least a lot of families I work with, there's, there's warmth, there's comfort. And that we did it early, early on in the pandemic. I did a service where we had to be outside limited to 10 people and the chairs were six feet apart each individual chair. Now, I don't want to get into too much about the rules that we have been given, but one of the things that has not made sense to me about the way the funeral rules are is that these people have driven to, they live together, they've driven to the cemetery together, and the fact that they can't sit together just kind of seems silly to me. I feel like if you drove in the same car, you should at least be able to have a little bit of a cluster of each other. But the challenging part was at this particular service, there were family members who were on the younger side of life, late 20s, or excuse me, early 20s, late teens. And those family members had to sit alone in a chair. And it sucked. And I hated it. But I did it because it was necessary to be there to lead 
this family and to tell this person's story. But life just feels different, doesn't it? I don't know if it does for you in your day-to-day, but it sure does for me. I'm a huggy person. I'm a handshaky person. I'm a touchy person. I love to smile at people, especially in my line of work. I feel like a smile is necessary. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to take someone's pain away. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to minimize someone's pain. I just think it helps to smile. But we're in the midst of a new normal. And we talk at a funeral a lot about adapting to a new normal and what that's like. When you lose someone, life is no longer normal. The day that they die is the day that your normal changes. When my grandfather died, it didn't affect my daily life that much, but it does affect when I'm driving from place to place. Usually when I'm on long drives, that's when I call my grandpa, but I can't do that anymore. If I were to lose my mother or my father, which one day I will, those phone calls that I make when I'm driving or when I'm out for my walk, well, they can't happen anymore. And we are right now, globally, nationally, even individually, adapting to a new normal. Some of you might be rethinking your careers. You might be saving money. When someone dies, it's a chance for friends and family to reevaluate those things in life, the things that matter most. You know, there's that old saying, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Uh, And that really rings true right now. I don't think any of us realized how important restaurants were. We didn't realize how important it was to smile at someone across the checkout aisle. We didn't think about what it was like to just go up to somebody, shake their hands and hug them when we haven't seen them for so long. But now we are in the midst of an environment where Uh, are we supposed to do that? You know, I do that at at services almost every day now. I've had a service, uh, gosh, I think I've done, I don't know, 10 or 12 services in the last 10 or 12 days. And I usually would go shake hands with family members or even give hugs, but I don't do that anymore um, because I don't want to be a super spreader, number one. um, And number two, I just want to respect where people are at and where their boundaries are. And so it's different now, right? We're in a different environment. So I think this pandemic is a great opportunity to reevaluate our priorities. Um, And I know it certainly has been an opportunity for me to evaluate my priorities. Um, But for those of you interested in what happens in my life, I'm going to be moving to Michigan uh, at the end of August. I went to visit my family during the shutdowns because there really wasn't anything to do. And my dad has a farm. And so I thought I could at least make myself useful helping out on the farm. And uh, while I was back, you know, I've lived in California for 13 years, and when I was back, I really, really enjoyed myself. And I've contemplated moving back to Michigan now for about five years. But when I was back this time, I, my parents are still fairly healthy. They still get around very, very well. They're still very active. I sit in the front seat in funeral services every week. And I hear families talk about how they wish they had more time, about how they wish they could spend another week with mom and dad. And I would be remiss if I did not learn those lessons 
and at least give myself the opportunity to not have any regrets at the end of my parents, my loved one's life to where I can stand up in the front of a service and say, I am so glad that I spent as much time as I could with them when I knew I had the chance. And the thing is, a lot of us don't realize that time is ticking. We get so caught up in what we're doing, in our job, in our career path, in our family, in our wants and needs. We get so caught up that we don't realize time is ticking until time has stopped. And so I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that you have used this time and that by listening to this show, by diving into these things of death and these, these conversations around death, that you're starting to realize that time is ticking and that you make decisions based on time is ticking. Make decisions based on when you're standing in the front row or when you are standing in front of a group of people who loved mom, dad, brother, sister, loved one, whoever your loved one is, will you be able to firmly say, I don't regret the way I lived my life with this person. I don't regret the time I spent. Or can you can you even get to a point where you're where you're comfortable enough in accepting the fact that you won't be there as much? An example of that is with my grandparents. I talk about my grandparents a lot. I'm going to talk about them a lot more. When I moved out here to California, I knew that I would not be able to be there. And I accepted that. And that was okay. So when I was home, I made the most of the time I had. So even if you don't move back, even if you don't spend more time, can you make the time you do have that much more valuable? I want to tell you a few notes about our show uh, uh, before we get into today's interview with Sean. So as of now, I'm going to be posting up one episode a month. That is what I have the bandwidth um, emotionally and energetically to do. I'm also working on some special episodes right now um, to where uh, and getting my Luke the Celebrant website up. So you'll be able to visit that and have some more resources there. There's a big need out there right now. There's always been this need, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's more. I feel like people are really thinking about their own mortality now. So there's a big need to be able to help as many as you and as many of you as possible get ready to uh, pre-plan your own funeral or being prepared to do this for a loved one. Um, I, you know, Coronavirus is real, y'all, and people really die from it. And I worked with a family recently who their mother died of coronavirus. They were unable to be there with her when she died. They had to go two months without even seeing her. Um, after she died, they couldn't view the body until it was embalmed. And the day of the service was the first time they got to see their mother since prior to Memorial Day. Let that sink in just a little bit. So there's a lot of stuff we need to work on. There's a lot of things that we need to do in terms of making the most of the time we have and and being ready for things like this. So if you have any questions, if you're in the midst of going through grief, if you're going through loss, if you need some guidance, follow me on Instagram at Luke the Celebrant, or you can email me Lucas at LukeTheCelebrant.com. I'll have that inf- I'll have that information down in the description box. So today, you're meeting Sean, 
Sean is inspirational. He basically went from suicidal with no self-esteem to insanely confident in who he is and what he wants. So any of you who are struggling with self-acceptance are going to learn a lot from Sean. I'll talk to you afterwards. Joining me on the show today is Sean. We have the same We have the same alma mater. We graduated from the same university. Uh, we were reminiscing before I pressed record on which professors are still at Spring Arbor University and which are not. And so, Sean, thank you so much for being willing to be on the show with me today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited. Me too. So uh, as uh, many of you already know, I put out this call on my Facebook page to have uh, new folks, uh, folks who are, are friends or, or who have followed me through uh, other uh, ventures uh, to come on the show. And Sean... Uh, responded by saying, Hi, Luke, I saw your post about interviewing people for your new Morbid show, and I love how you put your new Morbid show. (laughs) No curiosity, just Morbid. And (laughs) I would love to be interviewed for the show. I attempted to end my own life three different times within the years of 2015 to 2018. I was in a really bad place, but I'm at a place now where I'm so thankful that none of my attempts were successful. So let me know if you uh, consider me for one of your interviews. And of course, the response was absolutely <laughs> I'll have you on, Sean. And uh, so, Sean, first of all, um, as we talked about before I press record, most of the people that are coming on this show to tell these stories are going back to relive some pretty dark times. Mm-hmm, and, definitely. Uh, or they're in the middle of dark times. I just, uh, uh, the week, uh, the episode before you, uh, it was my good friend Dave Warnick, who has ALS, and so uh, he's in the middle of kind of that dark time, and and so a lot of folks that are coming on are kind of reliving dark times for us and and letting us into their life, and so um, a big round of applause and a huge thank you just for showing up to tell your story because I know that's not an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's just dive right into it. Okay. What was going on in your life? that that was so dark that that it seemed like ending your own life was was the best option for you at the time so there was a lot going on um starting in high school i had started to deal with depression and panic attacks um and i wasn't really sure why at that point um but i started cutting myself um as a way to deal with the depression and whatnot and as i got into college i started to realize that I just hated who I was. I didn't like who I was. I felt ugly, worthless, stupid, whatnot, all those things. Even though everyone in my life was telling me otherwise, um, in hindsight, I feel like it was probably because of the Christian upbringing that I had. I had been conditioned into thinking that, oh, you know, God is always mad at me because I'm doing all these sinful things. And I just really internalized that. Like, I really thought, I'm a despicable human being. I don't deserve God's love. I really would be better off dead, and my family would be better off if I were dead. Um, Were there some... some I'm sorry, I I just want to ask, were there there specific things that were going on in your life that you felt like God would have been mad at, or was it just the totality of everything? There was a couple specific things. Um, in high school, this would have been my junior year. I was 16. I was uh, raped by the guy that I was dating. 
Oh my god. And the Christian upbringing that I had was such that I felt it was my fault. I was praying oh. to God, like, please forgive me for having led my rapist on. Oh my god. Like, gosh. I thought I was the one in the wrong. Oh. Wow. Um... I mean that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. Why? Why? Uh, oh, there's so yeah, there's so much wrong with just that way of thinking, and not like not saying yeah. you're wrong. I'm just saying that <laughs> that that idea that 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 blame the, the blame the victim is so damaging, mm -hmm. and 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 so um, just removing the the uh, the personal responsibility from from a person who who imposes their will on someone else. Right. Um, so you, you, I mean, obviously that I can, you know, that uh, I can totally see why that would put you in, in such a, a, a dark space. What else was going on that, that, um, some, some of the other of stuff that was going on was I like, okay, so I was watching porn and masturbating and whatnot, but the Christian upbringing that I had was like, no, that's terrible. And so I felt like this crummy human being, like, I'm not supposed to be like this. This is bad. So, I don't know. I just I thought I was a failure as a Christian, as a person, just all around. And the the you know uh, the um, the message for in some uh, sects of Christian. I have to. I always have to announce that word sect. <laughs> you don't want to say sex. Some sects. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't sound good. So that you know, there's some there's some uh, uh, denominations of Christianity that that really focus on God's love and God's forgiveness and God's redemption. It does not sound like that that is the, the, the tradition that you were in. I'm not entirely sure. Cause I think the tradition I was raised in, it was more centered on like God's love and whatnot, but I've always been like a thinker. I love to examine things and figure out the implications of things. And that's what landed me in that mindset. Because I would think, well, if this is the case, then this must be true, too. And I just spiraled myself into that mindset of that God just hates me. Yeah, you know, I can relate to that. I I think that I was in a very loving church in a very loving environment. But I, I um, had a lot of internalized shame and a lot of internalized guilt over just being just being a teenager and and being yeah. an adolescent and sexual development. I mean, I had so I had so much uh, I think internalized shame so so these things were going on you feel bad about yourself did you um um uh when you reached out for i mean I, or i guess before i say when did you reach out to anybody around you to help walk and guide you through these these feelings yes um my mom had me go or start therapy shortly after she found out i was cutting myself in high school um and I was in therapy for the next eight years after that. Um, and between the years 2013 to 2018, I had around 20 different stays in psych units just because I either wanted to kill myself, I had tried to kill myself, stuff like that. Wow. So I was getting all this help, but the help I really needed was telling me that, hey, it's okay that maybe you don't believe in God, but my environment, I wasn't going to get that. So, so it was, what was the, what was the help that you, 
you were getting? What were they telling you? What were they trying to to do with you that wasn't working? Well, the church I was in, they were telling me, oh, you need to find your joy in the Lord. You need to study the Bible more. You need to pray more. But it was those things that was driving me even crazier because it was when I was doing those over and over that I realized this doesn't sit right with me. I don't believe this, but I didn't think I had a choice to do anything else. What happened to bring you to a point where you thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take control of this and I'm going to just get out of here. Um, I think it was probably shortly after my third suicide attempt, which would have been uh, April 2018. Um, at that point, so, right, I, had, I think I phrased, I think I, I phrased that question wrong. What? Let, I want to go back to that first suicide attempt. And what? Mm -hmm. What? What led up to? Um, I realized the way I phrased that might have sounded <laughs> like I was asking what made you leave Christianity. Oh, okay. But what I meant, what I what, what I meant to go with that was, you're you're going through these things. You're you're getting help. People are trying. You're getting help. Air quotes. Um, um, the help is obviously ineffective for you. What led you to say, "I'm going to attempt to end my own life because this just oh. isn't working," and there's no way, and there's no other, and I don't see any other option here. Okay, that would have been. Fall of 2014. That was my the start of my sophomore year at Spring Arbor. And I had a dorm by myself. I didn't have a roommate. And I was like Real quick, perpetually where, depressed. Where did you live? Where did you live at Spring Arbor? Muffet. Yeah! I was gonna guess that. I was totally gonna guess <laughs> that. I started in beta two and then went to Ormston. That was where I lived. <laughs> so I lived in K1. Nobody yeah. else knows what that means except for you, and I'm okay with that. Yep. So, so carry on. <laughs> anyway, um, I was perpetually depressed. I didn't have any friends, um, and I just realized I don't want to live like this. I didn't, but I didn't see any way to make my life such, or in a way, I didn't see any way that I'd be able to make my life worth living without rejecting everything that I taught was absolutely essential to existence. So I just figured, you know, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to see how this plays out. So I I tried to hang myself in my dorm room. So you were in a point in life where you said, I believe these things about life. And I believe these things about the way life works. Yep. I do not see a way to live a fulfilled life within this paradigm. Therefore, yeah, <laughs> I just need to end my life. The The thought of changing the paradigm didn't even sound like it entered into the, the equation at that point. No, because I'd always been taught growing up, you don't question these things about God. You don't question the Bible because those are the only things that are really true. So the first attempt was was uh i hate to use the word unsuccessful because it, it, it <laughs> right now, it's kind you know, of odd it's, it's uh david kessler says completed when someone has when someone has completed suicide that means that they've died and i i i appreciate the um 
complete incompleteness because we right. don't want to a failed suicide means you continue to live with a successful suicide means that you've died. And I just, there's a juxtaposition there that I don't Definitely. know. It doesn't, doesn't seem to work. So, so, uh, so I'll use, I'll be using the terms completed and incomplete. Cause that just kind of, for whatever reason, seems like it makes a little bit, it works a little bit better in my brain as opposed to saying mm -hmm. you were unsuccessful. It makes it sound like I'm sitting here calling you a failure. Um, yeah. <laughs> yet we're, you're alive and we're speaking with one another. So, so you, you were unable to complete suicide the first time. And, yeah. and was that, um, was that an accident? Was, was that uh, poor planning? Was that you decided that you wanted to stick it out another day? I mean, what was that, what was going through your head in that moment? It, it certainly wasn't deciding that I wanted to stick it out another day. Um, I guess I just didn't really know how to fix a bell over a door so that it would stay. Okay. And when you when you were unable to complete your first suicide attempt did you go back to the drawing board to to be more successful i just used successful to to <laughs> to, to uh to to have a better strategy for the second time was was a i guess the way i'm trying to phrase it, the way i'm thinking is did you go did you think well that didn't work so i just need to to figure out a more foolproof method for the second time around not immediately, but that ultimately was the mindset that I ended up at about a year later. Um, instead of trying to hang myself again, I slit my throat. I'm doing a horrible job with my poker face right now. Um, <laughs> no, it's apologize. okay. I apologize for that only because um, that was not something I expected. Um, and and so I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to be giving you No, you're you okay. These looks here so um uh how did did you tell anybody about your first suicide attempt once it was once it was not completed yes well actually i didn't tell anyone more what actually happened was my ra had heard a sound in my room and they came to check on me and when i opened the door i still had the the belt around my neck i hadn't thought about that and so I ended up in the psych unit again for I don't even know what time that would have been, but um, yeah. Wow. And so what led you to then decide slitting your throat would be a better option? Well, at that point, I had already had addiction to cutting my wrist with razor blades. And I just, I loved the pain. Like, I felt like I deserved that pain. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, if I'm going to kill myself, I should... I should die in the most painful way possible because that's what I deserve. Wow. That was an incomplete attempt as well. Mm -hmm. And um, what, what was the aftermath of that? That's a little bit different than a belt not staying on the door. Right. Um, so what was the aftermath of that? My, I was living with my parents and my mom came home and she found me in the bathroom i was still conscious but there was like blood all over my shirt and my neck and so she took me to the the er and of course i got admitted to the psych unit again when you were in that moment you know prepared to end your life that way were you were you afraid 
I was a little afraid of what might happen to me like after I died, like is there really a heaven or a hell? Um, but part of me was hoping there was a hell because I hated myself so much that I was confident, or no, I knew in my heart that I deserve hell. I hope that's where I end up. And this is all coming primarily from... Myself. From you. This is an yeah. internal an internal battle that you're fighting. Yeah, and that was one of the most odd things about my story is that I grew up in a very loving household. I was a very successful student in high school and college. I was never bullied or anything. This was all just coming from my own internal dialogue. Was there any, when you were seeking treatment, was there any suggestion to uh, consider any kind of medication? Oh, definitely. I was on more meds than I can count. Um, several different combinations. Um, when those weren't working, they, my parents actually had me, uh, I can't talk, they had me start electroconvulsive therapy, also known as shock therapy. And I had treatments, or of course, I can't talk. I underwent You're doing a great job. Treatments. You're, doing, you're doing a great job. Don't even, anyway, don't even sweat it. Anyway, I was getting ECT treatments on and off from 2015 to 2017. And, I mean, none of this was... Did anything seem to work at some point? Did medication? Did did talk therapy? Was anything working, or did you, or, or or not? At that point, no. Okay, so so after your stay in the psych unit, after the the attempted throat slit, that's we're we're at two. We're two thirds here, so we're two out of three. Yeah. What? Did you did did you consider changing course in life at all at that point? Did you rethink? Did you think about rethinking paradigms? Did you think about, or did that, or or, um, or, or did that almost steal your resolve to make sure that the third time you would complete this? Um. Actually, I did end up having a paradigm shift before my third attempt. Um. I had rejected Christian. I dropped Christianity and decided I was an atheist before I attempted suicide the third time. When you dropped Christianity and and concluded to atheism, mm -hmm. did that change what was going on inside of you? Because we talked about oh, most, of, most of this was most of this. Uh, we said we talked. You, you said earlier that a lot of this came from inside. So. Mm -hmm. Did, did your internal uh, communication to yourself change at all? It definitely did start to change. Um, it was only after I decided to ditch Christianity that I was able to start um, to start opening my mind, I guess. Um, and it was that decision that eventually allowed me to, to realize I'm not cisgender. Um, and... So yeah, it definitely did influence my how I thought about myself, but one douchebag boyfriend got in the way before I could actually become happy. <laughs> um, it, this would have been March of 2018. I was dating some guy because I was lonely and I still thought I was unlovable, even though I was on the path to like eventually being okay with myself, but he ghosted me. And that just wrecked me like 
I felt, oh, this confirms that I really am not worthy of anyone's love or care or anything. So it was after that that I attempted suicide for the third time. And how did you attempt it the third time? Since we've talked about one and two. Might as well I slit my throat again. Okay. Okay. Um, it sounds like you were on this trajectory after giving up Christianity. Mm-hmm. And you started to move a different way. Yes. And somebody somebody came in and reinforced something that you that you'd been thinking about yourself for the entire time. Now, yep. you also you also said that um, you were able to you realize that you were not cisgender, right. um, which I'm assuming we could also say then that you are transgender, right? Is that That's correct? Okay. I saw sometimes I just always want to make sure I, I say it right in the right way. Um, well, I appreciate that. I'm still learning. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm still I'm still learning. I've been learning now for like two and a half years. Um, mm-hmm. I, I got to give a huge shout out to my good buddy, Nick, who has helped me. He has been the one I can go to to be like, Nick, I got to ask you a question. I know this is not OK, <laughs> but I know you're you're going to be all right. So can I just ask you, knowing that you know that I am in good faith on this question? Um, so, so had you always felt transgender? Prior to this, well, you know, after after giving up Christianity, prior to uh, prior to third suicide attempt, had you always felt this way, but never ventured down that road? I've thought about this a lot. I think on some level, I th- I knew that something was different about me, but I never consciously thought, oh, I think I might be transgender because I'd been taught, you know, oh, transgender is a sin. People who are gay are going to hell. So I just never even allowed myself to consider that possibility because I was just taught, no, that's, it's not right. In and like, par- one of the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, um, looking back, one of the things that really jumps out at me about that tells me maybe, maybe I did know on some level is that I'd always loved reading like, uh, transgender memoirs and like reading about jazz jennings and i just thought those stories were so cool (laughs) it's 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 it sounds like you were you were in this paradigm that said um i can only be um cis hetero and that is the only way to love god and keep god happy yeah that's exactly how it was Yet God is also not happy with me, which which creates. Uh, so I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Yet inside, you you didn't ever feel like God was happy with you. And so once these once the the shell fell off and the paradigm was open, you were then able to consider all these other options. Yeah. That that you know, if you grow up your entire life and you think the only way to travel is by train, and all of a sudden you learn that there are things called cars and airplanes and buses. <laughs> Like, if you only think the only way to travel is trains, you're like, well, shit, I can't go anywhere because there's no train station around. Yeah. <laughs> and, all sudden, and all of a sudden you learn that you can drive a car or you can take an airplane or mm-hmm. you, can, you can take an Uber or whatever. It, you learn that there are new options to travel. And you all of a sudden, when your faith fell off of you, when this par- this faith paradigm fell off, you you saw these new options. And, yeah. and rather than kind of... And I, I really appreciate the fact that you... Um, I really appreciate the fact that you say, you know, because sometimes um, we we tend to like, you know, revisionist history. We're like, oh, I was always this way. But I appreciate the fact that you're like, oh, I might have always been this way, but I don't know because I didn't even know it was an option. 
right. and and so so I just I, that's that's an honest answer. Not that people who aren't saying that are not honest. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying <laughs> I liked that answer. I really appreciated it. I appreciated the the heart which it came from. That's all I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> and so third attempt not completed didn't work you said in your thing that you sent me you were glad it didn't work i'm that's imagining, where i am now <laughs> and i'm and so i was just gonna say i imagine there is a long road between second throat slit attempt third suicide attempt and complete acceptance and love of who you are <laughs> oh definitely tell us, how, tell us that road and how you traveled that to get um, to where you are I think it was a combination of a few different things. Um, part of it was I, this would have been autumn of 2018, I went through what's called exposure therapy, which is a kind of therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder, to deal with all the stuff from the rape I'd had eight years prior. Um, and that was one of the things that really helped me be okay with who I was, was dealing with that. Um, the second part was definitely coming out as trans and just allowing myself to experiment and decide what I like and just be myself. Um, and I think the third thing was, um, I visited a Unitarian Universalist church, um, that my brother had told me about when I came out as trans. And... I wasn't sure what to think of it because at that point I didn't want anything to do with churches. I was like a fresh atheist and whatnot. And so I was thinking, oh, this is just going to be an LGBTQ inclusive Christian church. But I was really surprised. Um, the UU church, it's really cool. They, they don't have any formal creed that they all adhere to. There are people with Christian backgrounds, atheist backgrounds, Muslim backgrounds. Their main thing is just that they want you to pursue knowledge wherever you feel led to pursue it and to make a difference in the world. And I just, I've felt so welcomed and, and comfortable there. That's so amazing. So it was, yeah, finding my community that I felt comfortable in. And you found that community, uh, what state are you in? Are you still in, Michigan. Uh, you're still in the great state of Michigan. Uh, and so you were able to find, sorry, I chuckle when I say great state of Michigan, because <laughs> I hated living there. And you know what? I didn't hate <laughs> I loved living there, but I hated it. Like now that I'm older and I live in California, I I, appre I appreciate my upbringing. I appreciate growing up there. I appreciate a lot of my past experiences in Michigan. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do so love my family. Um, but I, I just, I hate the cold. And so that's why I'm like, God, Michigan sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, so, so finding that community but in, but so it's interesting. Sorry, my brain's in a, a million different places. I'm going to try to land it in one spot for a second. Mm -hmm. You you were you mentioned that you were part of a loving family that you know you, you were you got a, you had a fairly solid yeah. upbringing, and the main issue was kind of this internal shame that mainly you brought that that was brought on by a religious tradition, um, in a lot yeah. of ways. What did that community at the UU Church give you that you didn't have prior to this? Um, for one thing, um, 
side note, I still live with my parents and they refuse to call me by my preferred name. They still call me by my birth name, use she, her pronouns, whatnot. Um, they still try to talk to me about Jesus every now and then. But at the UU church, you know, they called me by whatever I wanted to be called. They have little pronoun stickers for your name tags. Um, wow. So, cool yeah. Wow. So you just so found you just found a place that just took you exactly Sorry. how you were and said you are perfect how however you are. Right. And I wasn't getting that from my family. Like um when I told my mom like hey, I think I'm done with Christianity. Her what she told me immediately, her reaction was I'll have to get used to the idea of eternity without you. <laughs> yeah. Which you know People need to learn how to react to things yeah. better than that. Um, was that, that was her first reaction? Or her, yeah, or that was what she said as soon as did, I told her. Did she I, ever walk that back? Did she ever come back to you and say, you know what, Sean, I was a little shocked because I didn't expect this. And I'm sorry that I just kind of rashly reacted. <laughs> and I want to take that back and and fix it. She hasn't. I've brought it up with her before. She doesn't remember telling me that, but I wouldn't make that up. Like, that was too painful to even make up. Um, so where, where are you headed now, Sean? I mean, you, you've kind of got this new lease on life. You know what it is like to be on death's door a few times. Yeah. And, and, and so how are you approaching life differently now um for one thing i i don't care about what people think anymore and i really don't care about what god if there even is one thinks of me <laughs> yeah yeah and and what is this okay so i've never been to a uu church but it's something mm -hmm. that i've kind of considered what is your how do you define because i have my own definition of spirituality now <laughs> Yeah. I have a I have a, I have a view of spirituality uh, that is largely non-theistic. Um, mm -hmm. It focuses more on the connectedness of human beings. It focuses right. it focuses a lot on um, uh, uh, just our, our our humanity. And mm -hmm. so, um, what is how what is your spiritual life and spiritual walk look like? Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um. But what I've found so far is that I love to write. Um, I went to a writing workshop that was hosted by the UU Church, and I wrote this poem where I'm just raging at this Christian God that destroyed my life. And it's one of the fa most favorite things I've ever written. I'll have to. I should. I should read it for you. Yes. Yes. Let me find it. <laughs> Get it. Get it and read um, it. Okay. And it ends on a hilarious note that I absolutely love. Good. Okay, so here. It says... Okay, here we go. God, whoever, whatever you are, if you even exist at all, makes no difference to me now. It must be said, you destroyed my life, the Christian version of you anyway. You made me hate myself, to put it lightly. To be more accurate, you made me thoroughly loathe virtually everything about myself. Everything I did, every thought I had, was in some way a manifestation of a major sin. 
or represented some kind of doubt in you. My depression meant I wasn't trying hard enough to find joy in you. Anxiety? Well, that was a clear indicator of my lack of trust in you. Cutting myself? I clearly had no respect for the holy temple which was my body. Suicide? Willfully rejecting your will for me to live, which meant a one-way ticket to hell. You even went so far as to making me feel guilty about being a victim of rape, to the point that every night I begged you to forgive me for having led my rapist on. The worst thing is, you did all this while assuring me it was part of your divine plan, claiming to have my best interest in mind. Well, God, your best interest for me nearly resulted in my death by my own intentional and willing hand on three different occasions. You made me live in agony over who I was and what I felt every minute of every day for six excruciating years. But I'm so happy now. I love who I am now because I've allowed myself to be who I want to be. The me you would never approve of or condone. A free-thinking transgender man. And I get the last laugh because it was through what you would call a sin that I discovered my gender identity, the me I love. I realized I identified as male by watching gay porn. So God, I don't give a fuck what you think of me, and I will forever be grateful that Satan tempted me with those X-rated videos. That's amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things that I've ever written. I think that... I have a few friends who are, um, who are, and they're not, I'm not trying to compare them necessarily to you. I just, there's a few friends I have who are, who are gay, but who have remained Christian. And mm -hmm. I, I think they would, I think they would, I think they would listen to that entire poem or that entire poem, uh, whatever, whatever you, it is, you're going to call that. And they would, I think they would, they would agree with you. I think that, mm -hmm. I think you came to the conclusion that God doesn't exist, but I think that they would conclude that, Whatever God led you down that road mm -hmm. also does not exist, and yeah. and, and that's um, the 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 um, the honesty of that. I think it mm -hmm. was beautiful. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, what is on the horizon for you, Sean? What are you What are you working towards? I mean, obviously, we're all kind of just working towards not being bored um, with uh, with coronavirus. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, what are you what are you working towards where are you going i don't really know um when i was in college i thought i wanted to be a therapist which is why i studied psychology but after i graduated i got a job with community mental health as a residential technician and i quickly realized this is not what i want to do so for the time being i'm working at a credit union i don't know what kind of career i really want right now but I'm just, my goal in life right now is to just learn as much as I can and do as much as I can to make the world a better place. What are you, um, what are you really good at? Like, what are those things that just, what are those things that you do that just like your natural talents and abilities? Like what, what are those things? Language, um, specifically Spanish and English. Um, I took six years of Spanish classes in middle and high school, and I'm picking it back up now with like the Duolingo app and whatnot. And I just, I love grammar. I love linguistics, conjugating verbs. It just, it makes me so excited and I'm really good at it. 
I don't think I've ever heard anybody in my life say, I just love conjugating verbs. It's like, <laughs> I know. The excitement on your face when you said, I love conjugating verbs. Like, I've never heard anybody okay, say Vocabulary, it's just so much fun. And so, so, so you're, that's, that's, I mean, that's almost like somebody, that's almost as, as mind boggling as somebody saying, I just love math. I just love, you know, yeah. I mean, and so, so what, um, what are some of those things that you're really passionate about? Like, what do you, what just lights you up and makes you excited about stuff? Um, language. Um, but I do love helping people and I, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life that most people never will. And I want to use those experiences to, to make a difference in people's lives, to bring attention to things that are often like brushed under the rug because well, uh, there's still, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. And there's I'll... still a ton of stigmas that surround like any kind of mental health issue, let alone staying in psych units or shock therapy, cutting yourself. There's terrible stigmas attached to all those. And I just, I want to share my experiences to show people, hey, a lot of, like, these people who have mental issues, or, excuse me, mental health issues, aren't all, like, attention seekers like you think they are. Do you like to speak in public? I'm kind of exploring that right now. Like, two years ago, no way. But I have so much new confidence now. And I think I could probably do it. So the, th the first thing I thought of, Sean, was doing what i do so being a celebrant there is a huge need for people who speak spanish uh because because typically a lot of folks who are native spanish speakers um or who grew up in hispanic homes are catholic or mm -hmm. or very nominally christian and so when it comes time to find someone who there there is a huge need here in California for people who can speak spanish um in a public setting in which that you might have to work you know i don't know how fluent you are but <laughs> But, but people who can speak Spanish in a public setting um, to do funerals that are not or very mildly religious, like read a Bible verse. Oh, or that's interesting. And I'm telling you, if you were fluent enough to read and write and speak Spanish and do like movies <laughs> and stuff for people, you would be able to probably make, I don't know how much you can make in Michigan, but out here in <laughs> California, I'll bet you you could make seventy to $80,000 a year doing that. Holy shit. <laughs> there, there are, there are um, obviously not right now because we can't gather with more than 10 people. But once we can, right. <laughs> people, um, I'm telling you, like, and the cool thing is, like, it, it will, it, you would be able to connect with someone in grief because you know what it's like to be in grief. Not, maybe not, oh, definitely. In, maybe not in the sense of like, but you've, you have experienced grief and loss and heavy emotions and you're comfortable with them and you're able to sit in those moments. And, and, and anyway, the first thing I thought of once you said Spanish, once you mm -hmm. said psych, once you said all those things, I was like, if you could be a funeral celebrant who speaks English <laughs> and Spanish in Michigan and you're, I, I could, Oh dude, you could make an all kinds of money. Um, I definitely need it. Cause you know, spring Arbor is an expensive school and I'm crushed with loans right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, like if that's something that you want to dive into later, we'll talk about it off, off the air, but, um, but that's something that I think like you could, I'm telling you, man, like you could even just starting it as a side gig to see if you mm -hmm. like it and even starting it in English to see if you like it. And then, but there is a, a huge, I mean, the Hispanic population in Northern Indiana and Southern Michigan is big. Like if you're willing to drive an hour and a half or two hours South down where yeah. I grew up, like, <laughs> like, you know, if you drive that far for 
couple hundred bucks, I mean, you could do really well, Sean. So anyway, <laughs> that's that's just a that's just a side note. It just popped. Not I'm not. I wouldn't try to recruit everybody to do this, but <laughs> it, you would be a good a good candidate. That actually um, does sound really interesting. I'll have to look yeah. into that a little bit. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, okay, so uh, it's now uh, time for one of my favorite one of my favorite segments, Sean. Um, and it's one of my favorites, and we've only done it three times, but I'm loving it. It's called When I Die. Okay. And uh, uh, the, the purpose behind this segment is oftentimes in the 208 or nine or seven services that I've done, I don't know the exact number, <laughs> um, I've had three, two to three services where the person who has died expressed what they really clearly, what they wanted done, how they wanted to be remembered um and those kinds of things and so uh, mm-hmm. I, uh one of the things we're trying to do is encourage people to start a sentence sometime during their week with the phrase when i die and okay. uh here we, here we go so uh when i die i want to be cremated or casketed quick question after i say which with the with the i want to can i add like a, a footnote onto that you can absolutely you can add okay. jump off point here so so okay. you absolutely so, add whatever you want okay so when i want or when i want to die when i die i want to be cremated but there's i i didn't come up with this idea i read it online and i think it's half a joke but i still love it i want to be cremated and then at my funeral it's going to be a party and they're going to mix my ashes with confetti and shoot it from a confetti canyon while while thanks for the memories by fallout boy plays over the speakers i love it because my next question was when i die i want my family to do blank with my ashes so so that mix it with confetti (laughs) shoot it it from a confetti cannon (laughs) thanks for the memories by fallout boy oh that's great uh when i die i want to be remembered as blank When I die, I want to be remembered as someone who was not afraid to question things and who always sought, I don't know, knowledge, truth, and did things that were in the best interest of the most people possible. Mm, That's beautiful. I love that. When I die, I want people to say blank about me at my funeral. When I die, I want people to say at my funeral that I was a really weird person with a weird sense of humor, but that just made me all the more awesome. Yes. Like, seriously, I I have such a weird sense of humor, but I love it. Good. Good. And you know what? I after hearing your story just to hear you say something about yourself and say i love it i have a weird sense of humor but i love it i mean i mean do you do you ever stop and hear yourself say those things and then look back and go holy shit look how far i've come yeah it's it's really odd i was actually just writing about this the other day um it's weird when i look back to just like two to three years ago compared to where i am now because you know, obviously I remember being that person who was miserable and hated themselves and whatnot, but it's there's a disconnect between that person and who I am now. It's like, I can't believe that used to be me because I'm so happy now. You know, and it's, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and we were talking about this self-improvement culture 
that we have. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's really good. I think a lot of, I'm, I am a huge self-improvement guy. I've got so many self-improvement books on Audible. Like that's, I'm there. But so many of those books always tell you to look forward and move forward and keep pushing and keep going and keep trying. And every time mm-hmm. you get to one milestone, you just move the goalpost. And very few of them just say, time out, stop, turn around, look at how far you've come. Right. And, and, and-, <laughs> and here you say, I have a weird sense of humor, but I love that about myself. For me, that was the moment of like, stop, turn around and look at how far you've come from that, you know, from standing in that dorm room to now. Yeah, I know. It's it's wow. so weird to think about, like, I don't recognize the person I used to be. I mean, like, obviously, I remember being that way, but I can't believe that was me. Yeah. Um, when I die, I hope that no one tells this story at my oh, funeral. Oh, God. <laughs> um. Hmm. There's so many weird stories to choose from. I've done so many stupid things. Um. Favorite one. Favorite one. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, I don't, hang on. I need a second to think. Um, I love it. Think away. Um, maybe, oh, there's just too many. Um, maybe I'll, Okay, um, I guess maybe the time, for some reason, we were having, we were having dinner, and my mom was, like, making meatballs or something. I, for some reason, I put the meatballs under the sink instead of in the freezer, and (laughs) we didn't find them until, like, three days later, and my mom was like, weren't you the ones that put the meatballs away? And I was like, yeah, and she was like, well, what are they doing under the sink? (laughs) So yeah, how, it, how old were you when you put the meatballs uh, under the sink, not in the fridge or freezer? Twenty-one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, I just, you, I guess, I just wasn't paying did, attention. Did but a medicinal herb at that point, or, or <laughs> no, like, no. Or, or, <laughs> um, the final question that I usually ask, uh, some. I ask every family member this question uh, towards the end of our family meetings, mm-hmm. our interviews, when I'm talking to them about their loved one. And the question is, uh, what would that person, what would your loved ones say to everyone who is in attendance at their funeral? So what would you say to everyone who is in attendance at your funeral? I guess I would say, well, okay, so since the majority of people at my funeral would be Christian because it would be mostly my family, I would, so wait, the question is, what would I tell them? What would you say to everybody at your funeral? I would tell them, I know you all think that I'm in hell right now, 
personally, I don't think that's where I am, but if I, that is indeed where I am, I'm glad I'm here because this is where all the cool people are and this is where we're going to have fun and have a party. And we're not just going to be singing some corny hymns to some weird god for eternity. We're going to be down here partying and I don't care that I'm not up there with you. Oh, God. <laughs> Rebellious and I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much um, for reaching out, for being willing to come on to share your story. Um, and for Yeah, honor, for sure. Um, there are going to be people who listen to this. Um, I think... Um, religious or not, someone can learn some valuable lessons um, from your story and from your bravery and coming on here and telling it. Um, and I so hope I, so, because that's really what I want to do. Yeah. So again, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for letting me be a guest. Well, isn't Sean just an inspiration? I hope you enjoyed my chat with him. I hope you learned something, and I hope something uh, in that episode sparked something in you to start thinking about what you deserve. You know, I don't have any answers to the questions I asked above. Do you deserve to be happy? Do you deserve to be healthy? I, I think you do. I think you very much deserve to be healthy and happy. Um, depending on your religious tradition, you might believe that you deserve those things because of some God-given uh, right, because God is, because God loves you, because you're God's child. Uh, some of you might have that theology, and that's beautiful, and I love that. And if that's your theology and that works for you, that's great. Others of you might not have that same tradition. You might not have that theology, and you might have to dive deeper into why you feel like you deserve or why you should be happy, why you should be healthy. Uh, how do you find meaning in this world? Um, for those of you without a religious faith, that's a harder thing to answer. That's a harder thing to dive into. Um, and so so I encourage you, though, figure out, find out your why. Why do I deserve this? Why do I believe this? Why should I get this? And I think that really is going to help catapult you into um, uh, not only being able to face death differently, right? When you When you believe that you deserve to have a healthy, happy life, you you approach life differently, which means you'll approach death, death differently. Um, you'll see it as something that is inevitable, but not necessarily something to run toward uh, if you deserve these things. But at the same time, if you don't feel like you deserve these things, then you don't, you don't go out and you don't get it. You don't live your life. You know, if you don't think you deserve happiness, if you don't think you deserve success, if you don't think uh, that you're even capable of, if you don't think you're worthy of it, maybe not use the word deserve. Maybe are you worthy of it? Is your worth high enough? Do you value yourself enough to go out and, and find that career, find that job, find that relationship, invest in yourself? Do you believe those things? How do you do those things? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. We all find those through different paths. My main hope is that you're thinking about it. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'll talk to you next month. Uh, we'll see you in July. In July, we're hopefully going to, we're going to meet this wonderful lady named Rochelle. Uh, she's a breast cancer survivor, and you're really going to love talking to her. She has experienced all kinds of death and loss and grief in her life and has come out of it on the other side with just all kinds of meaning um, and really just a different approach to life and a different approach to the world. Again, if you would like to get in touch with me, all of my contact information is down in the show notes and you can find out ways to reach out if you need, if you have any questions or you need any guidance uh, about what's going on. Uh, this month, send those emails. 
Send the texts. Make the phone calls. Send the cards. You never know when the last time you talk to somebody is going to be the last time you talk to somebody. Life is too short, but it's way too long to be spent alone. So make sure that you love the people that you love. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next month.